0: This is the TriDot Podcast. TriDot uses your training data and genetic profile combined with predictive analytics and artificial intelligence to optimize your training, giving you better results in less time with fewer injuries. Our podcast is here to educate, inspire, and entertain. We'll talk all things triathlon with expert coaches and special guests. Join the conversation and let's improve together. together. Welcome to
1: the TriDot Podcast. When I think about how much time we spend on our bikes, it blows my mind how we've made it over 140 episodes without a Bike Fit Podcast episode. Well, today we are going to be correcting that and I am very excited about the gentleman that I have with me to cover everything triathletes need to know about bike fits. Our first guest is master Retail fitter, Craig Folk founder of Dynamic Bike Fit in Roanoke, Texas. Craig is an International Bike Fitting Institute level four fitter, which is reserved for fitters at the top of their profession and requires a minimum of 2,400 fit experiences, as well as evidence that a fitter is considered to be one of the best in the world. He's a USA cycling level two coach. He's studied biomechanics and exercise physiology at the University of North Texas. He is currently a doctoral student at Texas A&M in kinesiology and sport management. His area of focus is on how technology affects traditional sport participation in virtual sport. And as if all of that wasn't enough, anecdotally, I had several triathletes personally recommend Craig to me for my own bike fit needs. Craig gave me a tri-bike fit in February of 2021, and, and just, gosh, I, I think he nailed it. Uh, Plus, I just really enjoyed our conversation and the passion and the knowledge I could tell he has when it comes to bike fit. So, Craig, thanks so much for coming on the TriDot Podcast.
2: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Also joining us is Coach John Mayfield. John is a USAT Level 2 and Ironman Youth Certified Coach who leads TriDot's athlete services, ambassador, and coaching programs. He has coached hundreds of athletes ranging from first-timers to Kona qualifiers and professional triathletes. John has been using Tridot since 2010 and coaching with Tridot since 2012. Now, John, you have advocated many times on the podcast for folks to get a proper bike fit. Are you happy to see an entire episode dedicated
3: to this today? I am, and I, I got to say, it's probably not my fault that it's taken this long to to get one. <laughs> so we, we've certainly discussed it on a lot of a lot of podcast episodes. You know, it's it's hard to have a bike episode where bike fit uh doesn't come up, so yeah, it's come up lots of times. But uh, yeah, excited to have a full episode, and and really excited to have someone uh, as as qualified to speak to everything uh, as as Craig. So, going to be a good one.
1: Well, I'm Andrew, the average triathlete, voice of the people, and captain of the middle of the pack. As always, we'll treat the show like any good workout. We'll roll through our warm up question, settle in for our main set topic, and then wind things down with our cool down. Lots of good stuff. Let's get to it.
0: Time Time to to warm up. up. Let's get moving.
1: With a variety of paint schemes and tube shapes, bikes are often as much fun to look at as they are to ride. Most of us own one to a handful of bikes personally, but we have admired the sleek lines and good looks of countless others in the cycle sphere. John Craig, beauty is certainly in the eye of the beholder. So from all the bikes you have beheld, what bike would you say is the best-looking bike that you have ever seen? And Craig, we'll start with you on
2: this. So I kind of like the classic colors found in the old steel bikes, you know, looking okay. at like a Bianchi Celeste. But when carbon came along, uh, for a long long time, we only saw black carbon frames. Everybody's bike was black, well, sometimes red, but for the most part, black and boring. Um, now i'm seeing a lot more creative color schemes uh, yeah and some really beautiful bikes out there but i would have to say a veteran client of mine uh, had a custom paint job done by another client of mine sure. um, <laughs> and his tri bike is painted in the look of a waving american flag and it is gorgeous
1: wow uh John, kicking this over to you, what do you think is the uh just the the best looking bike you've ever laid your eyes on?
3: So uh yeah, it's it's kind of cool just to walk around a transition area and just check everything out. Everybody's got their little bit of individualized flair on them and you know, so many of them are, are largely the same. You know, there's there's probably half the bikes out there are are one, two, three brands and not even models, but uh it's kind of cool to see the customization, the individualization um that that each that each athlete puts on their own bike. But um, you know, one, one that came to mind is, uh, Andy Wegner's, uh, custom wrapped, uh, bike. We'll have to put up a picture of it. It is very unique, uh, and super cool.
1: Both of you guys are giving shout outs to some custom wrapped bikes. I, I'm going to go a little bit more traditional here. I love, uh, one of the newer models of the Bianchi Specialisma. Uh, and I wish I could afford that bike. Uh, They're they're gorgeous bikes. Uh, They're they're over $10,000, so it's a little bit out of my budget. But um, the the, the newest um, Specialisma has a a green-blue color scheme. And so it's kind of like a darker take on the traditional Celeste Bianchi color, and the Bianchi logo is that Celeste within that. And and I was actually on course at uh, 70.3 Worlds in St. George. We had a lot of try-out athletes racing um, 17.3 worlds last year in 2021 and, uh, I was on course and a road cyclist, uh, actually went by where I was spectating, uh, not in the race, just kind of out for, for a ride. Uh, and he was riding that exact bike and it just looked gorgeous in person that, that kind of blue green color scheme. Uh, it was, it, it was a Bianchi, but it caught your eye kind of in a different way from, from the Celeste color palette of the normal Bianchis. Uh, guys, we're going to throw this question out to you. Like we always do. I'm really curious to hear what you have to say. Um, from all the bikes that you've ever seen, uh, what do you think is the best looking? Maybe it's yours, maybe it's a friend's, maybe it's one that you've just seen floating around on Instagram. Uh, but make sure you are a part of the I Am Tri. Facebook group. Uh, we have thousands of triathletes just talking swim, bike, and run every single day. And every Monday, when the new show comes out, we throw this question out to you, our audience. Uh, and and I, I think there's gonna just gonna be pictures galore on this one. So uh, go find this question. Answer the question, post a picture of what bike you think is just the most gorgeous bike out there in the cycling world.
0: On to the main set. Going in three, two, one.
1: This show is brought to you by Precision Fuel and Hydration, who have a wide range of tools and products to help you personalize your fueling and hydration strategy so that you can perform at your best. longtime listeners of the show will know them as Precision Hydration, but they've changed their name to reflect the fact that they've been helping athletes nail both aspects of their performance for a long time now. Everyone sweats differently, and the amount of fuel we require varies depending on factors like duration and intensity of our activity, so a one-size-fits-all approach to fueling and hydration just doesn't cut it head to PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com and use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte, and carbohydrate needs during training and racing. Then you can book a free one-on-one video consultation with the team to refine your hydration and fueling strategy for your upcoming race. As a listener of the show, you can get 10% off your first order of fueling and hydration products by using the code TRIDOT10 at the checkout And once again, that's PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. On paper, bike fit is an applied science, and in practice, it's an art. In a space where a few millimeters here and a few degrees of angle there make all the difference, it's no wonder that many triathletes will travel far and wide to find a fitter that knows his or her stuff. And lucky for us, we definitely have a world-class fitter on the show today to teach us everything triathletes need to know about bike fit. Other than go get one, of course, which you've said on the show many, many times, go get a bike fit. So Craig, to get us going here in the main set, let's just kind of hear your background first as a cyclist. I mean, surely no one starts as a bike fitter without first being a cyclist themselves. When did you get into road cycling and what are some of the highlights from your time on Two Wheels?
2: So I was fortunate enough to have a pro cycling event come through uh, the town I grew up in uh, when I was 12 years old, started riding when I was 12, 13 years old and got into competitive cycling at that time. Um, The interesting thing is while I do have a a lot of wins and a lot of great races and and all of that, the one thing that, you know, when I think of the highlight and this goes to a personal side, um, was being around a great group of senior and master riders that really looked after us kids at the time. We had a really good group. There were good mentors for us, um, so that had an impact on on my life. Um, you know, I enjoyed living and training in Colorado Springs. Uh, that was my junior year of high school. Uh, that was great. Uh, traveling to races coast to coast. You know, you're 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 a teenager and you're on your own and traveling the yeah. country. Parents not with you. Um, and I think about that today. And and would people. Still have that ability today um, for their children, and would they want or allow that to happen. Um, so I'm I'm very thankful for that that freedom that cycling uh, afforded me growing up. And you know, if you were to ask my mom, uh, my mom would say the highlight was cycling kept me out of trouble. Okay,
3: <laughs> so. it's like there, there's a meme. It's like teach your kids to love cycling, and they'll never have money for drugs. I guess that's. Uh, <laughs> part of that i haven't seen that one but it's accurate uh so so craig
1: so, so you started riding when you were younger and just you know tra- traveled the country uh you know do, doing those races a, as a kid and, and grew up loving it so when did you get your interest in fitting and what were kind of the steps that you took to go from aspiring fitter to to the master fitter that you are now
2: so uh, i'll kind of step back a little bit so i left cycling in 1991 uh, i was in college at the time college the first time <laughs> still, still in college <laughs> still in college um so yeah, i left cycling uh then i was working in medicine at the time uh, then moved to houston uh kind of left school scorched earth uh started a computer company i uh, built an internet company uh in the early days before it was the cool thing to have um and part of that became a software developer, then on to a software architect. I uh, went to work in corporate America. Uh, while there, um, of course, I was carrying extra pounds on me, a lot of extra pounds. Uh, we had a uh, competition at work to lose weight. Uh, at one point, they said, you know, you need to kick in some exercise. It's not all about diet. And they said, go out and run, you know, go swim. I said, well... I don't do those, but I still have my old road bike. Sure. Yeah. So I, so I broke that out, started losing weight. And that was in May of 06, uh, by July of 06, I decided to start racing again. Uh, got very competitive again. I uh, was really enjoying that. And then I started looking at things and how people were getting set up on their bikes and I was like, wow, with all this technology that we have these days, why are we still doing things the same way we did them in the seventies and eighties? You know, when I worked in a bike shop as a kid, you know, we're still fitting the same way. And even today, even now, a lot of shops still fall in line with the, the Italian bike fit from the seventies and eighties. In 2009, I considered building my own system and started doing a little research and retool was already on that path. Uh, So, I flew up to Denver, uh, met with Todd Carver, Cliff Sims and others, it's, you know, kind of looked at it and I decided to adopt theirs. So, I mean, it was it was, hey, we were there. Let's let's just go with that. No need to yeah. try to build my own thing. Sure. Uh, <laughs> so uh, so that kind of seemed like a good fit to take the, my medical background, the, the technical background that I have in software development, technology, networking, all those fun things. Uh, And tying that to my cycling background. So, but I want to be very clear. Back in 2009, everyone thought I was crazy to embark on this journey. Um, But I saw something else there. And I stuck to it uh, and started diving deeper and deeper and deeper into building that knowledge base. So with that came getting more and more education on the body, uh, engaging uh, with competing fit schools, you know, I I engaged in processes of other fit schools that don't you know, use retool has its own. Right. So looking at that and through all of it, I came up with a composite service, which is what we call here our dynamic bike fit. Um, so that's kind of how we got there.
1: So Craig, I, I didn't include all of your certifications and accolades into your intro earlier in the show because there were just too many of them. Uh, and and we, we only have an hour on the show and I, I can't spend the whole hour just uh, just saying all of your qualifications. Uh, but, but one of your qualifications that is vital to this conversation is that you are retail triathlon and time trial certified a- and you have a deep experience uh, here in the Dallas Fort Worth area uh, fitting both road cyclists and triathletes. You know, what are the differences in doing a fit for a road bike versus a tri bike?
2: So just fundamentally, uh, you know, two different positions. If you look at a triathlete, you know, their back angle range is going to be a lot lower on a road bike. You know, a relaxed tri position is, you know, the drops position on a road bike. So what happens there when we lower our back, we close the hip off more. So the the back angle relationships, how, uh, that relates to hip angle, uh, which maybe we'll, we'll talk about later about cranking. That's always a fun thing to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get to um, it. <laughs> but, um, but you know, keeping that hip open on a tri bike is important because when you get off the bike, you know, one of the things that triathletes will say to me after a fit, oh, my bike was so great. And I ask him immediately, how was your run? How was your run off the bike? Oh, it was great. Then I feel successful. If, wow. if you say my bike was great, but man, I couldn't stand up. I, I had a hard time running, a hard time getting going. Uh, we need to work. We need to do something different there. Because a triathlete is different. The triathletes coming in off the bike, uh, they're, you know, their shoulders are upset with them and their arms are upset with them for swimming for so long. And they want to be comfortable on the bike, produce the power, but we also got to get off and run. Whereas if you look at a tri or a a time trial fit, back angles are lower. The hip tends to be more closed off. And frankly, we don't care about getting off the bike and doing anything (laughs) after a time trial, I don't need to stand up straight. Uh, I don't even need to walk much less run a marathon. That's important. And then also taking into account, you know, what events are you doing? Uh, Are you doing sprint, Olympic, you know, halves or fulls? That can affect position as well. Um, But a lot of focus of mine goes into the hip for a triathlete. Just because of the lower back angle.
1: So before we even walk through the door for our bike fit, what do we need to do as the athlete? Or, or what do we need to bring with us? Um, you know, to kind of set us up for a good fit session with a fitter?
2: Um, for us here, you know, tight fitting cycling shorts, cycling shoes, uh, we can work with the rest. You know, arrive rested. Don't don't go out and do a half iron man and show up to me in the afternoon and say, hey, do my fit. So, you know, kind of don't show up drained. Um, you know, show up with your bike in good working order. So we're not chasing repairs or any kind of problems that, that detract from the fit process.
1: Have you had along the way, Craig, have you had, uh, clients come in that, that were just totally unprepared for their fit and it kind of threw off the fit process because of it?
2: I've had people show up with almost a bike in a box, you know, that okay. it's like, <laughs> you know, no, I'm not putting your bike together. Um, I'm here about your position. Yeah. And getting you where you need
1: to be. So Craig, there are many steps to a quality fit session. So I'll, I'll let you walk us through the fit process. And, and probably John and I will stop and ask a few questions along the way. So once an athlete is in your studio, the, the, the bike did not come in a box, the bike is already put together, you can fit that athlete, you know, you're, you're ready to rock and roll. What is the first step through a bike fit and just kind of take us through your process?
2: So um, I do a, a comprehensive uh, questionnaire in advance. So I kind of get an idea of what you're coming in with, with your problems. Uh, we discuss those, get a little bit of history, kind of like, why are we here for the fit? You know, are there things bothering you? Then I do a detailed measurement of, uh, your bike. Um, some fitters don't do this. I find it valuable because we're building a data set. You're saying that you have these problems with this position. If I measure that position, now I have it for historical purposes. So I can say, when you were in this position, you had foot problems. pain or chipping. So we can relate it. Um, then we move on to a comprehensive bike assess or off bike assessment where we're looking, you know, at things like core strength, flexibility, foot structure, range of motion in the joints, uh, leg length differences. Uh, you know, what's going on with the body is, is there a limitation in the hip that's going to prevent me from getting you into a more arrow position or, you know, where you may want to go. Um, then we put markers on both left and right sides of the body. I use the retool system, uh, for 3d motion capture, uh, my studio, we capture left and right sides simultaneously. We have two retool systems. Other fitters may uh, mark up both sides and put you on a kind of a lazy Susan, turn your bike around. Um, But I opted to do both at the same time. Um, Some fitters I've heard uh, will only look at one side of the body. Uh, I'm opposed to that. Um, We can go back to the prior step of the off-bike assessment. You start to look at leg length differences or range of motion differences. Now we're going to have bilateral differences in motion. uh, And how do we address those? Um, I use a technology called uh, GPIOMIZED or saddle pressure mapping. We put a pad on your saddle. We're actively measuring saddle pressure as you're riding the bike. So with that, we're allowed the opportunity to collect motion data and pressure data at the same time. So we're seeing left and right side of the body and how your butt is interfacing with the bike. Uh, We take all that data, bring it together, triangulate it with the rider history, off-bike assessment, motion and pressure together, and then we make decisions. You know, how how does the data reflect the problems that the rider may be experiencing or seeing? And how can I change their bike to alleviate those issues for them? And of course, hopefully not create any new ones.
1: Sure. Yeah. I, I know one of the number one issues I hear cyclists talk about, and I think, uh, probably one of the things that, that sparks people to get a bike fit in the first place is if they're experiencing some sort of, of, of tingling in the feet, in the hands, uh, maybe even numbness in the feet, hands, you know, different parts of, of the, the legs, arms. Um, what, what, what is it like when a, a rider comes in, they, they have an issue like that kind of what, what's what's the detective work you have to do to figure out why that's happening and alleviate it?
2: So uh, I dive deeper into the questions of, you know, uh, well, what fingers are going numb? Where do you feel the numbness? Um, is it going down the leg? Does it uh, relieve itself quickly uh, by doing something? You know, if I stand up, the problem goes away immediately. So then you can look at that and you can say, well, that's more of a vascular issue. It's just blood flow, no blood flow to the nerve, and you open the floodgates, and it gets and it's all happy. It's getting its yeah. <laughs> um, whereas if it hangs around for a long time afterwards, now we're talking about nerve impingement. We're talking about you know a nerve, a, a nervous system issue um, that we need to correct. But the number one thing. Uh, that I find riders coming in, uh, you know, more than half of my clients, I think it's close to, I think it was 59% when I was looking at some numbers the other day. uh, Clients come in with a saddle complaint of some sort. That's getting into genital numbness, saddle pressure, you know, chafing, uh, various things like that. Um, You know, a lot of people will say, I want to throw my saddle out. It's the saddle's fault. Um, but yeah, a lot of times it is the saddle's fault. I won't, I won't lie to you on that, but I also have several instances where it's not the saddle's fault. It's the yeah. rest of the position. It's how we're positioned on, you know, where are we in space on the bike, um, to go after those numbness issues, but really, uh, you know, asking the questions about, uh, getting into detail, which fingers you know, you know, is it chronic? Does it hang around? Um, you know, when you get into the feet, it could be the shoe, could be the insoles, could be, uh, you know, unsupported, an unsupported foot. Uh, so there's a lot of things to look at, uh, especially when it comes to the extremities.
1: Yeah. we was thinking back to our fit session, uh, February, 2021. I mean, you, you, you got me into a a different insole in my shoe that, that, and I remember you explaining to me because I I had some tingling in my left foot. And so you got a insole that shaped to my foot better. And it allowed my foot to, to have more contact with the insole, as opposed to just a a few spots of my foot having contact with the insole, which then helped alleviate that, that numbness. So that, that was certainly the issue for me. I I was pleased, Craig, that, that my saddle wasn't the issue. I was, I, I think I've I've probably tried 10, 11, 12 different saddles over the years. And I thought I'd found the one that my bike, uh, or that, that, my butt got along with the best. And so you were able to confirm that that saddle was in fact a good fit for me. Um, so let's talk about kind of that saddle selection for a second, because you, you, you put a pressure mapping system, uh, underneath the butt. You're able to tell where on the butt, uh, you know, the, the, the pressure is being, um, applied. And for me, I I actually have a a pretty a pretty significant leg length discrepancy, and so for me it was okay. This is actually a really good saddle for you, but we need to do some things to your fit. To I, I think I was applying a lot more pressure to my right sit bone than my left sit bone, and so you were able to even me out. And 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 you were the third different fitter I've seen in the Dallas Fort Worth area, and you were the first one to to figure out. Oh, you are are putting a lot of weight on your right sit bone and not the left, and now. I'm much more even on my saddle thanks to you doing that, that pressure mapping. So, so talk a little bit about kind of saddle selection and, and, and what you see when you look at where the butt is actually applying pressure to the saddle.
2: Well, you just highlighted the, the, a key element to our process. And that is the triangulation. You know, the off-bike assessment said you had a leg length difference. We found that we were able to quantify that. Yeah, The saddle pressure mapping then validated. Yes, we are sitting. And then we can see the pressure. So, why is that pressure there? Uh, you're compensating for your leg length difference. If we fix that, will you still compensate? And then we can measure the saddle pressure after making those changes and say, did that go away? Um, but, you know, I like to say that saddle pressure mapping, active saddle pressure mapping is 100%. That's the only way. Uh, Only metric used in saddle selection. Um, It's not. It's very important to include the athlete's feel as well. I could have an awesome pressure map, but to the rider, it doesn't feel good. Yeah. I need to continue looking for a saddle. So what I'm looking for is I want good pressure data because I can see a storm on the horizon and I want the rider to feel good with the saddle as well. When those two things come together good pressure mapping and good to feel from the rider, I have less than a 1% chance that I'm going to be changing that saddle.
1: Wow. No, that, that, that's significant. So, um, you, you, mentioned for you, you do the retool motion capture on both sides. Um, which again, with, with my asymmetry just in my, in my body, I'm sure certainly helped my fit. Um, I had never had a fitter do that before and, and just really appreciated the, the, the thoroughness there. When you fire up that motion capture system and you're getting footage of the legs turning over and and what the body's doing as it's pedaling, what what are you looking for in that motion capture? And as you move things, you know, what, what are you trying to change and get our body to uh, just w- within the different angles and and all that kind of stuff as you're looking at the footage of a rider?
2: The important area, you know, diving in is the motor, right? The legs. What are the legs doing in motion? In cycling, the legs are the motion, right? Um, how stable is the knee? How much is the knee tracking away from the bike? Um, are we looping? Um, you know, what is, what are our leg extension angles, but more importantly to me, and also I would, I feel for a lot of triathletes is what's going on at the top of the pedal stroke. What's going on when the hip is flexed, the knee is flexed and the foot is dorsiflexed at the top of the pedal stroke. What's going on there? Um, And what can I do to help stabilize that knee? You know, the knee is going to follow what the hip and foot tell it to do. Hmm. So if our pelvis is stable on the saddle and our foot is stable on the pedal, we should be able to get to a stable knee. Now, going back to the triangulation, the off-bike assessment, I'm looking at range of motion. If your initial position has your hip really closed off and you're externally rotating your hip, to make the pedal stroke, well, on the table, you didn't have the range of motion to be able to do it in the first place. So I have to get that hip to open up, you know? So those are the things that I'm looking at. Um, and the relationship, you know, are we front loading the bike? Are we too far forward? Are we not forward enough? Um, so those are, you know, key elements, but, uh, the bulk of the 3d motion capture uh, from a motion perspective, is tracking the knee, the knee, the hip, and the foot. What's going on there? And are they within a, a normative range? And are they, more importantly, in a range that they can sustain?
3: So, Craig, one one thing that came up in bike fitting over the last couple of years is uh, crake arm length. It's been um, more and more part of the conversation, especially those of us that uh, race triathlon and, and do have to, as you, as you mentioned before, have to have to run off the bike. So what are those considerations in determining what crank length is, is right for not only a cyclist, but specifically a, a triathlete? And um, should we just go with whatever comes on our bike? Or is that definitely something that we want to look into to make sure that we're riding that proper crank arm length?
2: So I've been an advocate for shorter cranks for a long time. Uh, I've been criticized for it um, I've had people tell me left and right that they're going to lose power and, Ooh, you know, cause the longer lever I can produce more power. Mm, okay. So in cycling, when are we concerned about max power? Max by definition is one. You can only do it once. So if I think about cycling and we're looking at max power, max power would occur in a standing start sprint. How are you doing that? No. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so now we got to look at how does that work with the body? Um, I, uh, I know from working with a lot of, uh, writers, I have a, a large female clientele, um, short female writers almost every time, uh, they're, they get a poor setup. You know, the idea of we have, you know, going back, you know, we had 170, 72, 5, 175, 1775. When I was a kid, they put me on, when I was at the Olympic Training Center, they put me on 1775s. Knowing wow. what I know now, I would have gone for 1725s and killed it. Um, but we we hope through knowledge that we progress over time, right? So But looking at it and saying that crank arm length needs to be reflective of your leg segments. Um, I've had riders with really, really long tib fib, so and they were tall riders even, and I put them on 165 cranks uh, because I was looking at their knee flexion. There was just the knee was flexing too much at the top of the stroke, so I want to open that up. Uh, I want to open up the hip, you know, on a tri bike, you know, if you want to be a little lower, you go to a little shorter crank, you can keep the hip open with a little lower back angle. Uh, there's some ways to, to balance that, but you know, from what I've seen, uh, and this is just in my own practice for the most part. And I, I, there's exceptions all over the place with this, Sure. but you know, if your saddle heights less than 700 millimeters, and you're on a crank arm, 170 or greater, you probably should be looking at something shorter. Um, you know, I have riders with saddle heights down in the 580, 590. I have some very short riders. Uh, and so the argument of I'm gonna lose power, that's been debunked. We have scientific studies that say that's not true. Um, but also for, for those that are tall, and riding 175 cranks, and they ride it well. I can ride 175s just well. My knee flexion's fine. I prefer 172 fives. My hip likes it. So when we look at it and we start to say to people who need shorter cranks are shorter riders, and we're six foot two and we're on 175s, and we're telling someone who's five foot two, you know, short legs. To be on 172 fives or 170s is ludicrous. We need to be. If that's the case, then let's put these six foot two riders on 195 or yeah. 200 length cranks <laughs> because they're going to produce more power. Uh, no, and and the argument always comes back to me. Well, that's too long. And I was like, okay, but when you start to look at the relationship of the body to the crank arm, that is what we need to be considering. Not oh yeah this I have a client uh, had hip foot and knee pain, one seventy two five length cranks. We went to one sixty five length cranks. Pain went away, but her significant other was telling her that she was losing all this power. Now granted, they weren't measuring power. They had no power meter. It was just this tribal knowledge that sure. longer crank you're going to lose. You know you're going to get more power yeah. out of. Okay, so as all of that, the rider went back to the 172.5 cranks, and I heard this through the grapevine, hip, foot, and knee pain came back and they quit riding. That's wrong. Yeah. We need to be meeting people. Their bike needs to meet their body, whatever it is. You know, if you need shorter cranks, go with it. Um, You know. There's some people that are I, I, some fitters I've seen putting like 145 length cranks on a rider, say my height, six foot two. Um, that's pretty extreme. So then you have to step back and say, are they effective with it? Well, they just won or you know whatever, then go with it. It's fine. It's not gonna do any harm. So we got to look at it from that perspective. Are we doing harm? Or not,
3: and I, I think, Craig, you're really just demonstrating the the critical need to work with with a professional, with someone that that knows. And, and it's it's very difficult for us to even anecdotally, or even for us to be incredibly expensive uh, to to try out all these different crank links and just yeah. trial and error. It. So <laughs> you know, this is where, and this is one of the reasons I I always advocate so so strongly for not just a bike fit, but really working with with a, a professional. Like Craig, that understands bike fit intimately and and deeply, and also understands the unique needs of of the individual, Um, especially triathletes. Is you know we we represent a relatively small percentage of the of the cycling market. Um, I think we 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 represent a larger portion of the of the fits because we're we're the ones that are willing to go out and do these things. Um, But but yeah, it's it's one of those things. I feel like we owe it to ourselves um, to to be the best. And you know, like you mentioned in in that story. Uh, that that lady's power went to zero because she wasn't cycling anymore. Um, But I I had the opposite um, story where I I rode, I I had a high end bike that had integrated cranks. I was somewhat reluctant or even just a little bit lazy on um, going to the shorter cranks, even though my fitter recommended it. Uh, And and then just kind of almost fortunately for me, my power meter broke. So I needed, uh, it was time for me. I had had a a crank based power meter and um, man, it made a a huge difference. It's one of those like, geez, I should have done this a long time ago. Um, and so, yeah, for, for me, that was kind of one of those eye-opening things for, for me. And I didn't think it would make that big of a difference. You know, you're talking millimeters. Um, but, but it made a huge difference both in, in my, my, my own riding um, as well as my ability to, to, to run off the bike. So kind of along those same lines, once it's all said and done, uh, the fit is, is complete. We're back out on the road. Uh, what are some of the signs that, that we need to be looking for? um, that, that the fit, uh, is working versus uh, what needs to come back into the shop and, and be touched up. Cause, cause anytime we change anything, it's going to feel awkward. It's going to feel strange. Um, the body's going to have to get used to something that, yeah, we we perhaps been riding that position for for years, so it's going to be awkward. It's going to it could even be a little uncomfortable at first. But but what are the signs that um, maybe we just need to give it a couple of days, a couple of weeks, couple hours in the saddle versus um, coming back in for for some some refinement?
2: So first, kind of based upon uh, past experience with riders, I was always asking the question: How long did it take to adapt to uh, the change? And it fell somewhere for most people between five and 10 hours on the bike. So I always ask riders, give it five or 10 hours on the bike. You know, your first five hours need to be kind of quiet, easy, lower intensity, lower duration. Um, but during that time, let's be looking for increased comfort. You know, are you performing better? Did the pains go away? Uh, those are signs that things are working. Um, now, especially in the tri side, um, if you can't maintain the position that we arrived at during the fit, if you can't stay down you know if you're, if you're down there for two minutes and you have to come out for two minutes, that's not working for you. you yeah. need to reevaluate. Um, I recently had a client um, ended up they had a road saddle on their tri bike um, and I was very much an advocate, and I liked what I was seeing out of uh, you know, a split nose, you know, the tri-saddle and, uh, we tried it. It didn't work. She didn't like it. She didn't like the rub. She didn't like a few things about it. And we ended up back to a road saddle. Um, is that something that I really wanted her to have? Uh, I actually preferred the other, my pressure data said this was better. And I had a little better motion data, too, with my saddle, but she couldn't maintain it. So through negotiation back and forth with the (laughs) client, um, we went and I said, all right, this is what we're going to do. Uh, Let's see how it plays. If you're going to do that, we got to work on, you know, focusing on the D. We got to, you know, you're going to need some more adductor strength. We got to work on some things. Um, And we kind of went back and forth a little bit. And now she's riding it well. She's she's She looks good on the bike uh, and it's sustainable. So, you know, the sign that something's wrong is when you can't maintain that position that we arrived at. We try to, you know, when the rider leaves our studio, we like them to have a knowledge of what we're looking for so that when they're out on the road, they get these, uh, they have some sort of set, you know, something set in their mind to refer back to oh this is what they were meaning and then eventually you know five to ten hours in uh, you start to develop those nice patterns and then you can recognize when you're out of that so that's important you know other things to be concerned about hey any sharp pains you know if you end up with a sharp pain somewhere pfft, stop writing uh, we need to reevaluate that's not an expected result um uh, and numbness, you know, for the most part, I may be you know, touting our service a, a little much here or expectations, but majority of our riders, I'm not seeing come back to me in a week or two with problems. You know, I'll see them a year later when they get a new bike or something different uh, and, you know, different shoes, things like that. And when we do have a rider, you know, it, it happens, uh, you know, sure. we're human, yeah. you know, humans working with humans. Um, you know, I usually have enough data uh, to, to be able to make a recommendation that a rider could tweak their bike themselves. Hey, lower the saddle three millimeters. Let's see if we can take some of that hamstring tension out because your saddle was three centimeters too low. And We kind of pushed you a little too far (laughs) to start with so let's back off on it a little bit and then we'll go back up in the future um but an important part of that is uh you know it's communication you know uh the writer needs to you know be aware of their own body what's going on with it and if something's bothering them, don't be afraid to reach out to the to whoever did it Uh, like i said i'm human and we're working with humans
3: Craig, one thing you mentioned was, um, coming back periodically, uh, not necessarily, uh, days or weeks after that fit, but but maybe it's a year later, maybe it's a new bike. What are some of those catalysts, um, that, that could, um, spawn the need for, for a fit or, um, is there even a, a interval, um, maybe one year, two years, something like that, that we should just check back in that, as you mentioned before, the bodies change and sometimes we, we're not even uh, intimately aware of how our body is changing over that time. Is there, uh, is there, is there a kind of a rule of thumb that you advise, uh, either, um, or are, are there a certain catalyst or, or just a, a time frame that, that it's a good idea to, to come back in and see your fitter? So let's say, uh,
2: you know, you're a year out from your fit and everything's been going well. And then all of a sudden, boom, I've got knee pain or I've got hip pain or something going on, you know, an onset of pain, uh, something like that. An injury had a client fall off a ladder, uh, tweaked himself pretty good hanging Christmas lights. Um, His fit changed. Um, We had to change it. Um, I had a triathlete, uh, a car pulled out in front of them on course at a race, and they went over the hood and uh, had damage to both shoulders and forearms. Um, So. An acute injury uh, could necessitate that. Um, you know, changes in weight. You know, flexibility. You know, a lot of people say as we get older, we're not as flexible. Um, I know Lisa, who works with me here in my studio, I would say that's more of an effect of being lazy, yeah. uh, and not stretching. <laughs> um, and I fall into that category. I need to stretch more. I need to do more same. forward. Um, yeah, same. I need to eat better, all those fun things. But uh, I do think that we have uh, some control on that. Um, the other part that comes into play is, you know, mechanics, they'll alter your saddle height when they put it in the work stand. They don't want to clamp a carbon frame. They need enough seat posts to expose, to put it in a, the work stand. Cause that worst case scenario, they'll break your seat post and that's a lot cheaper than repairing a frame or replacing a frame. So then it's a question, did it go back to where it needed to go? But I also don't want to just say mechanics. Um, John, you, you just showed us a picture of, of your dog laying on your bike bag, you had to take your bike apart to some extent Yeah, to travel. To travel and a lot of, a lot of triathletes travel to events. So that's going to, you know, putting the bike back together, taking it apart, those things can change uh, position if you're not methodical in marking it and getting it back. So I know a lot of people rely on someone else to put their bike together for them, and they're not paying attention to it. And then uh, others uh, go into great detail. So, yeah, acute injuries, you know, changes in the body. You know, I see some clients every year, uh, some every two years, some when they get a new pair of shoes or a new bike. So those are, those are times to reevaluate. Uh, I used to kind of push on, you got to look at it every year. Mm, I might fall off on that a little bit to say every year, um, depending on how competitive you are and what's going on in your life and and with your body and your interaction in the sport, um, that could vary. Um, so a so few things.
1: Yeah, no, great. So it, it sounds like if any of those events ha- have have sparked some sort of change, e- either in you or, or or your fit or your gear, it, it's it's worth getting get, getting fit again. But if you've gone a year and largely nothing has changed, largely your flexibility is in the same place your fitness is in a similar place. Your weight is in a similar place. You could probably just keep on trucking unless you experience any issues. So that that's super helpful to hear. Um, Craig, there has been a rapid rise in popularity to training indoors and cycling virtually. Uh, and I've, I've been, you know, I'll go out for a few outdoor rides and then I'll hit a week or two where I'm just in the trainer, uh, on, you know, indoor station area. And I've wondered just, just before when I noticed in my own body being outside versus being, uh, indoors, does kind of bouncing between the two change what we need in a fit or, or is it the the same fit is fine for, for riding indoors versus riding outdoors?
2: So, um, so virtual cycling was a part of our landscape prior to COVID. Uh, But with COVID uh, we saw an increase in virtual participation, right? Yeah. Um, So people are choosing that for a variety of reasons, you know, safety, convenience, the physicality. I can get my workout in, you know, at four in the morning, take a shower and be, you know, on my way. Um, So, but what I've noticed is some changes in the riders. Uh, When we're riding the indoor trainer all the time, we're not having to balance that bike. So core strength, the engagement of core is different. Uh, How we're engaging with the bike is different. Some are doing it on exercise bikes, which is not even in the position that they would be competing in. Yeah, absolutely. We're riding it. So they're building strength and stamina in a a way that's not beneficial to them. Now, cardiovascular is great, right? But strength and stamina is not being built in the position that they should be. But a lot of people will say to me, I only have a problem when I'm on the trainer. So I have general numbness when I'm on the trainer, and that's the only time I have it. That's the, the I only have the problem on the trainer. And at first I accepted that statement. But as I reflected more upon it, uh, I've come to realize the rider has the problem in both settings. They're experiencing symptoms in one setting. Mm. And why is that? They're engaging with the bike differently indoors versus outdoors. You know, we're starting, stopping stoplights, speeding up, slowing down. Whereas a trainer, we're just hitting it. But also what I'm seeing is some asymmetries forming with the rider uh, who does a lot of indoor. So, you know, if that bike is not plumb, you know, side to side, the rider is going to compensate similar to what you are doing for your leg length difference. Yeah. So if my bike is leaning to the right, I'm going to move my body to the left to center it back up so that I can pedal. So that Brings in saddle sores and, and uh, low back pain, you know, leading cause of low back pain, functional or skeletal leg length difference. So that comes into play. You know, a lot of people ride in their garage. Well, depending on how your, your bike is facing, you could be going uphill if you're facing the front of your garage. You're going downhill if you're facing <laughs> the back of your garage, or you're leaning if you're facing either other of the directions. Yeah. So that affects how we hold our body. So if we think about um, to maintain those positions, I have to shorten muscles on one side of my body and lengthen on the other. Mm, That's not good. So we need to be conscious of when we're riding indoors, what our environment is like. Are we creating a problem? Are we mimicking to the best of our ability, the outdoor environment indoors and maintaining that position so that when we do get out on the bike? that low back pain, the head, neck, shoulder issues that we experience outdoors because we're not training indoors appropriately with it, uh, don't come to, to light. I believe the, the virtual sport part is going to be a part of, uh, sport for years to come.
1: So Craig, you've literally, uh, done thousands of fits. Um, you know, I've been on the athlete side of three fits, you know, John, I I think you've probably had a few more fits than that, but Between the three of us, Craig, you're in the lead of how many fit sessions you've been a part of. So I would imagine that most fits are are pretty standard and go by uneventfully. Uh, But but I know you have to have a few good stories where the fit session was just, let's say, extra eventful. What's a good story that comes to mind for you from your fit sessions?
2: That's a fun one. Because I have to say, you know looking at my clientele and the number of years that I've been doing this, I had very few, what I would call problem clients. You know, the, good. The, those are the stories. Those yeah, are the good. ones that are like, Oh, I don't want to see that person again. And they're few and far between and they are part of society. And I'm <laughs> um, I, am okay with that. and again, humans working with humans. So, but from the tri world, I had to think about it. I did have a writer come in uh, wanting to get more arrow, you know, lower, Sure. And after full assessment, uh, multiple attempts trying to get him lower, he couldn't sustain how low he already was. Wow. So I ended up raising him up 25 millimeters, about an inch. And he cussed me. I can't, and you can throw in a word there, I believe you raised me up. I came in here to get more arrow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I said, uh, you can't sustain... Where you're at, much less me trying to get you lower. So I asked him. I said, "How you know? How long do you sustain arrow in your in a full Ironman?" He said, "About fifty percent." Wow. And I was like, (laughs) "I said, what if I can get you ninety-five percent in a less arrow position? Will we not improve your time?" And so I was able to prove the more arrow position destabilized him on the bike, and he was somewhat upset with me but did agree to try it. And about four or six months later, I get an email that included these great results. It said, had the best bike, best run ever. I I knocked significant time. I think it was something like, it was over an hour and a half, a lot of time. And uh, that also came along with an apology. So that made me (laughs) feel good that he had the good results and that he recognized the value in what we did. Um, and it improved his performance on the bike. Um, and yes, it was contrary to the aero gods, but, uh, it was sustainable for him and, and he killed it with
1: it. Yeah, no, I love it. Yeah. And glad it came with a happy ending there as opposed to an unhappy ending.
3: For those interested in getting a, a bike fit. And, um, as, as we advocated for me, even me personally, uh, finding that, that fitter that understands the unique needs of, of triathletes. Um, I know I've had, I've had athletes fly in, uh, to, to work with the, with, with the fitter in in my area. You've mentioned you've had athletes from all over the country fly in to, to work with you. Um, personally, I think that's a, a worthwhile investment, but, uh, what are some of those things that, um, what are some of the marks of a, of a good fitter? So, uh, if, if a athlete is looking for a good qualified fitter in their area, um, what, what are those things that, uh, we should be looking for to, to make sure that the, the fitter that we're working with really knows their stuff and really is going to get us our best fit. So I think, you know, looking at
2: their training and education, uh, I see a lot of places offering some advanced fitting options, but may not have the trained staff to do it. Uh, so do your homework on who you will be working with, have a conversation with them. Um, you know, see how you fit with them. Um, look at how experienced the fitter is in fitting for your discipline. You know, uh, the last thing you want is a road bike fit on a tri bike. Yeah. Um, I see them come in all the time. I, in my own practice here, uh, there's two of us fitting. Uh, I do all the try and TT fits. Uh, Lisa does all the mountain bike fits and she'll do road fits. I do road fits and gravel fits, but it's not that I can't do mountain bike fits it's, she's more of an expert in mountain bike fits. It's not that she can't do TT fits. She's done a bunch with me and we learn from each other on it, but she has the expertise in the mountain side that, you know, from practical experience on the bike that I don't have. So, you know, if you're going to go to a fitter, you know, do they really understand from a tribe perspective, really understand the differences. A lot of, Fitters that are strong in road, you know, want to drop a plumb bob from the knee and set knee over pedal. You do that on a tri bike, you're screwed. So, the other thing is, what technologies do they use? I, you know, a lot of people say, well, I can just look at someone and tell. Okay. (laughs) I can't, and I've been doing this a long time, I can't catch the intricate details. Can I tell in a gross fashion how? Good or bad, you may be on the bike. Yeah, but I'm not recording. You know, my eyes aren't recording it. Um, I'm not looking at averages of pedal strokes over a minute, you know, at 90 RPMs. You know, we can't see those things. So, you know, what technologies are they using? Are they at least using some sort of video capture? You know, something where they can stop it and look at it and analyze it. Uh, or is it just their eye? Um, you know, frankly, I I think the technology is strong uh, that we have. And why not use it? You know, if we look at technology, uh, you know, what we can do with an MRI today, you know, if we go back 100 years, that would have been exploratory surgery. Do you want to yeah. do exploratory surgery? Or do you just want to get an image and see and use the technology and go, yeah, maybe I don't need to cut this guy open. So, um, but also be sure when you're looking at fitters is to compare apples to apples uh, when it comes to their services offered and related costs. Um, you know what are you getting for that? Uh, you know what's the time involvement? Uh, you know our average fit is you know you know two to three hours. Um, I've had some go longer. Mm. Some shorter, you know, if it's a writer, I've been working with several times over you know, 10 years. Uh, they know my process. They understand me. I understand them. And we can move through it quicker. But definitely, you know, compare apples to apples because it's not always there. Um, Andy Brooks started the uh, International Bike Fitting Institute. A lot of my mentors are a part of that as well. And that's another area you can go look for a fitter. Um, he does, uh, a good job of kind of vetting, you know, the education side of things. He weights education heavily. Um, so yeah.
1: So if someone listened to our podcast today and was like, man, I, I really liked learning from Craig, this guy knows his stuff and they want a dynamic bike fit from you. How can they contact you, uh, to, to schedule a fit? I mean, we have, we have listeners all over the world, we have listeners all over the United States. Uh, we do have a lot in Texas, uh, but you even said you, you've had people travel to you, uh, you know, fly in to Dallas-Fort Worth to, to be seen by you. So, so what, what's the process like if someone wants to get a Dynamic Bike Fit from Craig Folk?
2: So uh, the easiest thing to do would be to go to our website, uh, dynamicbikefit.com. Uh, we have a book a session link. Uh, our calendar is up to date. Uh, This time of year, we can run anywhere from two to six weeks out. And then if you have any other questions uh, on our contact us page uh, down near the bottom, there is a other services request. If you have some questions that you want to throw at me, uh, feel free to,
0: to throw them in there. Great set, everyone. Let's cool down.
1: On the main set, you all uh, got to hear from my personal bike fitter, Craig Falk. I-, I know John Mayfield, who was on this episode with me. He gets his bike fits done at Shama Cycles from Philip Shama in the Houston area. Uh, so shout out to Philip. Um, I-, I just kind of wanted to close the show today by giving some out athletes the chance to give some shout outs to their bike fitter. So I reached out to our out ambassador group and I said, hey, if-, if anybody has a bike fitter that you really believe in, that you really have connected with, uh, leave me a try podcast voicemail, uh, giving a shout out to your fitter and I will play it on the show. So, uh, hopefully this is a good way for, uh, wherever you live, you might find a new fitter in your neck of the woods, uh, via some try podcast, uh, listener recommendations. So without further ado, here are some try dot ambassadors giving some shout outs to their bike fitters.
4: Louise here from South Africa. Um, I'm based in a city called Pretoria. My bike fitter is five hours away in a town called Bloemfontein. A massive shout out to Jean Foury from Cycle World um, in Bloemfontein. Uh, they have absolutely gone the distance to make sure that I'm comfortable on Any bike that I own, um, I drive that five hours with a smile on my face because I know I'm going to be comfortable for the rest of the season. Um, My first ever triathlon that I did, I went for a bike fit. We did my bike set up nine times to make sure that I am as comfortable as possible. And uh, he only charged me for one, so I can definitely not complain. Um, yeah, so he is absolutely my bike fitter of choice. So anyone um, in South Africa, if you are close to Bloom, please go there. You will not not be disappointed uh, with the service and the prices. So massive shout out there!
3: Hey, Out community, this is Craig Fisher calling from Seattle, Washington. I wanted to give a big shout out to my bike fitter, Eric Moen, at Corporate Sano uh, out of Kenmore, Washington. Uh, Eric and his team are amazing at what they do. Um, they fit me for many different bikes and uh, definitely keep me in alignment and keep me getting the best maximum position as well as output for my races. Um, so big shout out to Eric and his team. If you're in the Seattle market, feel free to reach out to them at Corporate Sano. Eric Moen, give him a shout. Great team. Thanks for what you do for the Doc
0: community. Thanks, bye.
2: This is Kathy Mayone from Stamford, Connecticut, and my bike fitter is Chad Butts. He owns a shop called Endurance Works. That's Endurance, W-E-R-X. They are located in Harlem, New York, and Montrose, New York, which is in northern Westchester County of New York. What's uh, great about Chad is that he's an independent fitter, and he's not tied to any bike shop, so he's really just focused on finding the very best bike for you. Thanks.
0: Hi, it's Doug French. I live in Cochrane, Alberta, Canada. And uh, the best fitting uh, bike shop I know, it's the best, is Big Hill Cycle in Cochrane. They're number one. Uh, All their staff know how to fit people, to bikes, and they're just totally awesome. I just bought a new felt VR, and uh, it's just amazing. Big Hill Cycle in Cochrane.
1: Hi, this is Sandra Ringelstein from the Charlotte, North Carolina area. And I wanted to talk about my bike fitter, Chris Sheehan at Uptown Cycles. I think that he is fabulous. He is a great listener. He uses the retool system, so it's absolute perfection. And he really has your best interests at heart. You can tell that from him. He's a very kind person. Love him.
4: Hi, I'm Tina Stewart from the Lansing, Michigan area. My bike fitter is Jessica Bradis at Fit Me in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Jessica has more than 15 years of experience in the art and science of bike fitting. She has become one of the most renowned bike fitters in Michigan. She is thorough, detailed, and committed to making the customer happy and has probably fitted at least 90% of the athletes on our local tri-team. During the beginning of the pandemic in March of 2020, I was scheduled for a refit on my road bike while training for Ironman Wisconsin. Of course, we couldn't meet in person, so we improvised and did our first FaceTime modified bike fit with my husband helping with measuring and tweaking. She seriously rocks. Hey,
2: everyone. This is Greg Perrin from Orange County, California, and my bike fitter is a gentleman named Mike Makovich. Mike works out of his own studio called MaxPerformanceBikeFit.com, but also travels around Southern California to uh, local bike shops that he's partnered with. In particular, the bike shop where I had my fit done over 20 years ago and subsequent fits is a bike shop called Don's Bikes in Redlands, California. I would encourage you if you're somewhere in the uh, Southern California area, uh, it's worth a trip to visit Mike Minkovich. He does an amazing job.
4: This
3: is Heather Hodges from Dublin, Pennsylvania. My bike fitter is
4: Mark Gallietta, and his shop is the Energy Lab in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. He has a Vertex Fit bike system
3: that he does pre-buy bike fits on, so you can pick out the exact bike that you know will fit you. He also is a triathlete himself. He just finished the Epic DECA Challenge, which is a 10 full Ironman distance race in 10 days, which is beyond impressive. Hi, this is Diane Duenas.
2: I am from St. Louis, Missouri. I want to give a shout out to Tim at Maplewood Bikes. Tim is my fitter. Uh, Tim is awesome. Whether you're a pro level rider or a newbie to riding, he treats
3: everybody the same and truly cares about your bike fit. Uh, He will spend hours for you on his own time if he had to. He just loves cycling that
2: much. Tim rocks. Hey there, this is Craig Jimenez out of Winters, California, out Ambassador in the greater Sacramento area. Big shout out to my bike fitter, Rich Burns, out of Rancho Endurance Sports in Rancho Cordova. Dude just puts his heart into everything he does triathlon-wise and is a great bike fitter.
4: Hi, this is Hilary Malk from Las Vegas, Nevada. My bike fitter is Shane Broussard at ProCyclery. Shane is knowledgeable on the needs for the triathlete, both male and female. During the bike fit, Shane will also provide instruction to why the modification is needed and how to apply it during your next ride. He'll even give you some pointers on how to conquer that bike portion at your next race. Matt Johnson here
2: in Bend, Oregon, giving a shout out to Bart Bowen at Bowen Performance Sports. Bart is a master fitter using the Guru system. He gets the perfect fit for you on the Guru bike and then can translate that to your time trial bike, road bike, gravel bike. I am more efficient in the saddle right now, have less pain. Absolutely endorsed Bart. Thank you, Bart.
1: Well, that's it for today, folks. I want to thank Craig Folk and John Mayfield for talking bike fit with us today. If you are interested in being fit by Craig yourself, head to dynamicbikefit.com to schedule your own fitting. I've sent a few folks to Craig already, and they have all walked away happy with the experience. Remember, if you want to learn more about fuel and hydration from Andy Blow and the team at Precision Fuel and Hydration, head to PrecisionFuelandHydration.com to book a call with one of their sweat experts at where you can form your own race day hydration and fueling strategy. If you want to give Precision Fuel and Hydration products a try, you can use promo code TRY.10 for 10% off your order. We'll have a new show coming your way soon. Until then, happy training.
0: Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe and share the TriDot podcast with your triathlon crew. For more great Tri content and community, connect with us on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Ready to optimize your training? Head to TriDot.com and start your free trial today tri the obvious and automatic choice for triathlon training.